1: Yeah, you get it. Every time.
2: And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba da ba ba ba. Gene Shepard on Tuesday, June 6th, 1972.
3: the other day just sat you know sitting there in the bus and and, uh, I forgot to buy a newspaper actually is what happened and and there was only a half of a paper on the floor under my feet that somebody had left you know it was among all the rubble and uh, some of of the buses here in New York have not been cleaned since about the time that FDR was in you find a few newspapers referring to the Japanese menace you know things like that and uh, nevertheless I picked up this paper so a half of paper had a had a cigar butt, dried, hanging on to it. I'm sitting there reading it. Now, are you uh, are you one of those convulsive readers? Absolutely compulsive. I mean, you can be convulsive, too, at it. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the kind of guy that has to have something to read. No matter what, I, I've been in the places where I've been trapped, you know, and nothing to read. So I wind up reading the serial numbers on the wiring in the John where I'm at. You know, actually, you find that the serial numbers... Uh, and uh, yes it uh, really gets you you know and, Oh, listen I'm such an experienced reader of cereal boxes that I can quote uh, various types of preservatives used in some of the more esoteric European preservatives that are in uh, various European health foods and I don't even eat European health foods that's how much stuff I've read it's terrible but uh, so I'm sitting there reading the church news now you wouldn't expect laughs out of the church news would you well, let me tell you what's been happening out of the Grace Lutheran Church out in Malvern,
4: in Long Island, you know.
3: Here are the, I'll, I'll quote you exactly, here are the notes. Uh, there the, are the meetings, you know, various things, church groups. Uh, Al-Nan, Al-Anon, a family group, is meeting for relatives and friends of problem drinkers. That will be held at 8.30 at the Grace Lutheran Church. And then... Uh, at nine o'clock, Alcoholics Anonymous is having an open meeting. It's a half an hour later, at the Grace Lutheran Church, and then at ten thirty, this is kind of interesting. The Ladies Aid is meeting in the same church, the Grace Lutheran Church, is meeting, and they're having a meeting. And the special uh, program that night is entitled "Cooking with Cordials" at the church. So uh, we didn't, we'd like to salute <laughs> this had a does that seem, please, if you will? We'd like to salute those ladies out there. Keep that uh, consistently exciting program. I can see three guys staggering out of the anonymous AA meeting, you know, and, and uh, everything is cool. You know, they they got a good grip on themselves. And there's a little lady in there baking a fruit cake using four quarts of curacao, nine gallons of cherry hearing, and three pints of brandy. And she said, How Would you like a piece of my cake, Mr. Smithers? <laughs> I just, it's the poetry in my soul. It just comes out at night. Like, so you don't mind this? On the sheet of Peter be. Oh, your love belongs to me. At night, when you're asleep. above will shine
1: <laughs> and will light our way to love. As a dance, you rule this way with me.
3: I'm the sheep of Repeat. All right, sing it out, gang, all together now. Here it comes to chorus now. This is a pick a pick a pick for It hours this for was hours. This guy was big on bridges. <laughs> On the sheikh of air a bee. <laughs> your love
1: belongs to me. <laughs> At night when you're
3: asleep. <laughs> okay, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's a lot of sensitive people out there. I, I understand your sensitivities. Very nervous time. that's been bugging me here, and it keeps coming into my mind. It's about, it's, uh, is Billy out in the yard? Somebody out in the yard, he went to see the elevator at the Sheridan to press the up button and to press the down button and to press the sideways button. That's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just, uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to sympathize with you, friend. Being out there in the audience like you are, I would like to sympathize. with But I only say this: you know, ultimately, when you boil it down, you get what's coming to you. I mean, you get you, you get no better than you ask out of life. Do you agree with that? That's right. Of course, you damn rarely get what you ask too. But you get no better than you ask. Now, remember, the key word is better, and say so you won't get. Now, uh, I'm, I'm you know I I I, uh, I don't know I. It's the poetry in me. I'm reading this paper a little bit further on down. See, it says a Chicago cab driver gave three New Yorkers their wildest fantastic taxi ride ever the other day. Did you read about what happened in O'Hare Airport? Cab drivers got three New Yorkers in the back. You know know how New Yorkers are always nervous about Chicago. New Yorkers always think Chicago is a plot against New York, you know. And uh, (laughs) they do. It's all reversed. It used to be the other way around, you know. that uh, Chicago used to think New York was a plot. And New York, hardly ever knew Chicago existed. Now, you know, it's reversed. So what happened, you know, with Sodom and Gomorrah, they used to have a terrible, terrible battle between those two towns. It was a PR battle that, uh, you know, one used to get bigger billing in the Bible than the other. In fact, more people talk about Sodom than ever mention Gomorrah these days. That's because, you know, they had a bad uh, junior chamber of commerce there in Gomorrah. And they spent all their time putting on bingo parties, whereas the guys in Sodom were putting on other kind of parties. They got them a hell of a lot more publicity. But uh, <laughs> publicity is the name of the game. It's the name of the game. Is there anybody out there would like to be famous tonight? Now, I think one of the great urges that man has, seriously, is to be famous without any talent to accompany it. That's the trouble with talent. That it, it takes work, and you know, you got to tap dance. You got to learn how to work the accordion. You have to do all these things that talent. You. you have to get agents and all that stuff. But everybody secretly wants to be famous. Do you agree with that? Uh, I, I, I really do. I, I, and you realize that I've got the medium to make you famous. I, I'm, I'm, I'm right here. I'm in, I'm in control. I got this thing here. See, and uh, there's this little thing here with buttons all over here. Yeah. Yeah, that makes dwindling noises. Look, I just tap this with my finger. Look at this power, listen. They're hearing me tap on a thing with my finger over 35 states. Friends, that's power. That's real power. That ain't uh, mythical power, that's real power. Watch. They're hearing that in Nova Scotia. <laughs> Hi, Nova, how are you? Yeah, you're okay. Yeah, you're all right. I'll put up with you. See? And uh, 35 states. Now, I have it within my power to put your name on the map. That's right. Every night I could could have a salute to uh, Charles Grubbage, 1422 Ashby Street, (laughs) Malvern, Long Island, (laughs) an unsung hero of our time who should be, you know, given his right place in the sun. And I've got the power to do it. And now the thing is, we have to decide who's, we can't, if fame is given to everybody, fame is meaningless. You agree with this? You know, it's just the same thing as, you know, the old uh, the old argument about the tree in the forest, you know, if the tree falls, can you hear it? If everybody's famous, is anybody famous? No, that's right. Absolutely right. So maybe just as well you stay in your anonymity, stay in your basic. Hey, what's going on in there? What's all that music that's playing in there? I hear a lot of stuff going on in there. Is that the, somebody? You mean you don't hear that music? Oh, I see. Yeah, I see. Okay, I see. Somebody forgot to turn the music off in the sales department's office, I see. They don't listen to they listen to music. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm... I'm Walking around here, thinking about fame, and I'm thinking, well, how are we going to decide? I, I, I feel tonight. I feel, I feel magnificent. I feel, I really do. I feel the milk of human kindness is spring, you know, and the milk of human kindness is flowing like a vast, immensely fecund river from me tonight. I, I, you know, I'm thinking about. I, I'm thinking of taking a bus out, and going to that cordial festival they're having out there, and then afterwards attend the other one, saying, you know, just sit there and do it all. And, uh, would you like to be famous tonight? Anybody who would like to be famous tonight, get in touch with us. Oh, well. Uh, yes. I see. Well, he, uh, I see. There's a guy out in Floral Park, Queens, wants to be famous. Well, anyone who lives in Floral Park, Queens, I can understand why he wants to be famous. There's not much else to aim for out there. So, uh... Uh, we'll 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 think about it. No, don't,
1: don't keep holding it up, honey.
3: I'm not just going to pop off with anybody's name. I'm going to pick very carefully who I make famous to begin with. It has to be somebody who will accept fame graciously. I don't want anybody, you know, just because the minute he gets famous, starts running around and yelling, and you know, gets himself a fancy suit and one of them vinyl vests, and he gets himself a Mercedes, and then pretends like I didn't have anything to do with his career, you know. And I know what's going to happen. Within 20 minutes, that son of a gun's going to be on the Johnny Carson show, and Carson's going to ask him if he ever, ever heard of Shepherd. He said Shepherd, who is not a hillbilly singer, and uh, you know I know what's going to go. On. So I I have to make my decision as to who's going to be famous very carefully here because I don't want to create the monster. And uh, oh, that reminds me, this is W O R. New York, and uh, we have a a little thing here. Would you please hit the button, please? No, no, that's not the one. That's not T-A-P, please. (laughs) That might be a great commercial for Portugal. (laughs) Oh, man. If you want to meet the kids of Portugal, gang... take your vacation in Portugal. I uh, been the kids of Italy, every place are there. there yeah, no, all kidding aside, uh, Portugal is the country where almost every European ultimately goes to take his vacation. And then they have the beaches and everything to go with it. So if you're a kid type and you want to do something groovy this summer, something really unusual, $210 will buy you a round-trip economy airfare to Portugal. Now you got to be under 26 and over 12. So get your Get your kid mask and your your fake afro and go down there you know, with your guitar and maybe you can swing it. And in Portugal, you'll meet Italian, European kids of all types in the wine country, everywhere. They're all over Portugal this year. So in Portugal, by the way, the prices are fantastically low and the food is great and the people move real good. So call your travel agent or a TAP at 421-1850. That's a 421-8500. I tell him Manny sent you. For complete information about TAP's $210 youth fair to Portugal, go where the European kids go, to Portugal. Don't forget, the cold word is Manny. All
1: right.
3: Oh, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Um, oh, yeah, hey, don't forget that we had a little note here. Herb Klein, the head of the communications department of the White House, We'll be on John Gambling Show tomorrow, answering telephone questions about the Nixon's trip to uh, to Moscow. So you can call him. You know, see what he says. You better write down the number because in the morning you'll be, you know, your eyes are all stuck together and there'll be little potatoes in your ears. So here's the number. It's the number here is area code two one two eight six eight eight five zero zero. That's a special number. They'll talk about it. It's tomorrow morning on uh, the Rambling with Gambling. Tomorrow morning. He comes on. The, well, it doesn't say what time Klein is going to be on. So I presume he'll be on the whole show, huh? Okay. you you mean he's getting up early this uh, this week. <laughs> uh, no grass grows out of them politicians, does it? Let's see. We got another one here. How about that newsday dingy?
4: Boy, oh, now that's a commercial. one of the epic dramas of our time, the bloody battle in 1948 between Jews and Arabs for the holy city of Jerusalem. Now, after five years of intensive research, a new book, O Jerusalem, reconstructs this historic confrontation minute by minute. Starting Friday, Newsday, the Long Island newspaper presents an exclusive serialization of O Jerusalem, destined to rank among the year's best-selling and most important new books. The adventure and heartbreak of the holy city under siege and in flames unfolds in the pages of Newsday in ten consecutive exciting installments. Every day in Newsday, you'll share the incredible adventures that occurred as the Jews and Arabs clashed in a struggle that still continues. you want to read every installment of O Jerusalem in this Newsday special bonus series, daily and Sunday in Newsday, starting Friday. Newsday, Long Island's own newspaper. Boy, that came on real big there. All well, those horns and all that.
3: I thought there was a commercial for Salminio there for a minute. Phew. There's a biggie
4: La ta 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 we have one more
3: to throw at you. Here here it comes. There's no
1: one else like him. And there's no one else like you. B&B Lorries thinks you ought to get together. You and Jeffrey Bean. Jeffrey Bean, the most admired men's fashion designer on the current scene. Jeffrey Bean at B&B Lorries. A distinguished presentation of suits and sport coats. The ultimate in styling refinement. Exclusive in fabric luxury. Unsurpassed in tailoring magnificence. Now, Jeffrey Bean raises masculine elegance to new heights. Creates a fresh, gentlemanly look in the world's finest double-knit. clothes that merge subtlety, imagination, and taste with the flawless functioning of double-knit. And Jeffrey Bean does more. Complements this superb apparel with shirts of surpassing richness. And neckwear of uncommon originality. A unique Jeffrey Bean wardrobe for the unique man. Now, at B&B Lori's, 16 neighborhood fashion centers in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Westchester, Long Island, and New Jersey. Gee, that's fantastic.
3: I'll tell you, that's a psychedelic experience. By the way, whatever did happen to psychedelic experiences? I guess they don't have them anymore, huh? <laughs> oh, madness, madness. Oh, the fame is the... Fantasy, the, the is the bitch goddess of existence terrible hey you know while we're on the subject of fame you know a very very funny thing yeah the fame cuckoos are out there uh very very uh little secret thing just passed the night i have to report it to you yeah it's a well by the way speaking of secret things you you mean you didn't hear the uh, the, what happened in the airport the other day at o'hare i started to tell the story Well, these three New Yorkers are sitting in the back of the cab. Well, you know, they they, every New Yorker thinks that he knows all about cabs. Well, boy, I'll tell you, they're sitting in the back seat of the cab, saying, "You know how cab drivers drive when they go out of an airport? You know, with those big curving ramps and all that." So this guy throws that baby in gear, and he tromps on it, and he takes off like a bird. Well, he goes around a curve, his door opens, and he flies out. The cab driver falls out of the cab. So these three guys are sitting in the back of the cab, and the cab is going like hell. They're like mad. So one guy, they had these you know, these plastic windows that are in between the front and the back. He got one little crack open, it, and seen, he's hanging. He can't get through, so he's staring at it. And the other two guys are pretending like they're rearview mirrors. They're coming up behind you, Hockey. You know, look out, Fred. And uh, they, they kept spinning around the airport about 19 times until finally he slammed into an intersection, and he got the car stopped, and he stuck. Camp driver comes walking over, gets in, and drives them off. By the way, charged them fare for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. All right, I'll tell you. Oh, you want to know what just happened? A little secret thing just passed the the night. And I saw it in the Wall Street Journal of all places. It's uh, the last, listen, Historic moment has occurred. No, and and the great historic moments are rarely ever really recorded in their time. You know, like no guy printed a great big story about how they just signed the Magna Carta at the time the Magna Carta was signed. You know, I wonder whether there was there a gay pressman on hand to ask one of the bigger barons, you know, how he liked the idea of signing this new thing. Can you imagine all these barons sitting around signing the Magna Carta and the guys hand out souvenir ballpoint pens? And, uh, you know, it says a Magna Carta signed by uh, <laughs> Attila the Hun on this day. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, just the other day in the Wall Street Journal, there was a little piece that says, it comes from Montreal. What hath God wrought? The words that opened the era of Morse telegraphy 128 years ago brought it to a close. They just sent the last Morse code message. On the North American continent, now, I, that, that, I had no idea that. You know what Morse? You know Morse code. They sent the last one, and the last message was sent from Batiscan, Quebec, a whistle stop on Canadian Pacific's rail line into the mineral regions of northern Quebec. Sent by a railroad agent in Batskam to the manager of the Canadian Pacific Communications. The message read: What hath God wrought? This is the last telegraph message. He signed off. You want to know how "What hath God wrought" sounds in code? Do you want me to send it to you? Okay, I know I'm 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 a CW man. You better better be better be ready for this. I'll send it to you in Morse code. You ready? All set. I just sent it for you, just to let you know what it sounds like. I could send other things to you. But, of course, the kids are up, and some of them might know C.W., and then we'd all be in the thing, you know. (laughs) Yeah. What did I just send that time? That's right. Well, you know, the thing about C.W. code, now I'm not sending actually Morse code what I was sending. I was sending the International Morse, which is different than the Continental Morse, or Telegraph Code. What's that? Oh, I see. We've got a whole group of guys who want to be famous. I've noticed one interesting thing about it. Now, I don't know whether this is significant or not. Every last one of them are men, except one woman called. One woman called, and she, uh, you know, just one. So, so fame—the urge, the uncontrolled, inchoate urge for fame—is largely a masculine thing. I mean, you just can't imagine. You really can't. You just can't imagine Jane Fonda stomping around on the deck of the Pequot, You know, shaking her fist at the heavens. You just can't. That's that's Captain Ahab. Now, what what was biting Captain Ahab? What what uh, you know? There's been a lot of theories about what was bugging Ahab. There is one theory, of course, that if, he had, if Alka-Seltzer had been around at his time, that maybe he might not have had that problem. Some people say it was just a problem of a lower elementary tract, which can cause a hell of a lot of problem in a guy's disposition. Just bad. You've, know, you've seen that. It's been that. Uh, there's been that. There's been other suggestions that Ahab's problem was that, the, that the, they hadn't yet discovered the Listerine, and uh, he, he offended people. In certain ways, that made him eventually a lonely figure, stomping over the quarterdeck. On the other hand, some people just simply say that he was before his time. That if he had been alive today, he'd been a big star on uh, the American sportsman. Uh, He was obviously a fanatical fisherman. He could very well, you know, uh, he would uh, he would take Rip Torn out on a big sequence, Rip Torn and Captain Ahab go after the white whale, you know, with gun with gun and camera, make sure everything's okay. And of course, that now they're changing all that. Now, have you noticed that almost every animal on TV now is getting shot with darts? You know? With the tranquilizers. I, but so, uh, can you imagine? That, uh, I, I can just see this one elephant saying, that, Oh, here comes those damn guys with those darts again. I'm getting so tired of these darts. My behind is really hurting these days. Fifty-eight darts with tranquilizers. in them. I'm getting side, you know, tired of the other. Why don't they give us pills for a while, you know? <laughs> You've seen that. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's all part of the... Oh, what was that? I think we got hit by lightning here. Something popped. Oh, that's exciting. I think it was a light bulb here. Don't worry about it. We're, are we still on the air? Damn it. I figured we could be off early tonight. <laughs> but, uh, you know, now that you bring up this Morse code thing, which is uh, just... Uh, Do you mind if I I sing a little bit? I just have to clear. Get rid of the ashes, please.
1: That's enough, that's enough.
3: Hold it, hold it, I said. Give people an inch and you just can't stop them. Uh, People are mad, insane. But uh, they took, uh, you know, that last message, 138 years, they sent that last message the other day. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's all great romantic things, C.W. And once you learn it, you can't forget it. There's no way. Do you know code? Where'd you learn it? Well, that's right. You got a ticket, huh? What's your call? Huh. Ah, so. Very good, very good. And uh, when I was about 10, it, it happened to me. I was about 10 when it got me. And I was lucky see if you if you try to learn code when you're older you have problems like you know something like that this is always difficult but I was only ten see so I didn't hardly know how to talk even <laughs> well you know so so uh, i'm uh the first the first the first uh introduction I had to code I was in this brownie troupe you know we had brownies you know and uh I was actually in the in the male auxiliary to the Brownie troop. I was in the Wolf Pack. They called it. You ever been in the Wolf Pack? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> with the little black, the little blue beanies with the gold on it. See, yeah, I was a Cub Scout. See, and 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 our Cub Scout troop would always meet down in the basement of this church. And, you know, it was just a church where they had it. And, and uh, I was the, the church had nothing to do with the Cub Scout troop, but they would meet in the basement there. So I got my little blue beanie on, my little gold, neckerchief, the whole bit, you know, and I was a member of a wolf pack. They call them wolf packs, and you're, yeah, it's a tough crowd. I mean, you'd think they're really tough with a name like that, but, uh, you know, they averaged about two feet nine, something like that, and so we're, we're fooling around down there one night in the Cub Scouts when, uh, oh, you were in the Pueblos. Oh, that was a crack outfit. Oh, yeah, they're legendary. I mean, the Pueblos were the Cub Scout uh, version of the Rangers, the Green Berets. When you met a kid that was in the Pueblos, you knew you met a real mean Cub Scout. I mean, this guy was, you know, push-ups the whole bit. Yeah, tied knots, all of it. Yeah. Well, well, the well the crowd I was in was in a very dilatory Cub Scout troop. Really, we <laughs> we spent most of our time trying to steal fudge. You know, that they they left in the basement of the church. And we we were, we're not dedicated. There were certain dedicated types that went on to become. Eagle Scouts and got elected, to, you know, to the city council all that kind of stuff. But we were a, a group of guys who were destined to grow up used car buyers, which is not the same as used car sellers. And so I'm down in the basement this day when when kismet occurred. You know, the moment of Sartori, the moment of of uh, meeting your destinies. You know, it's just like can you imagine Ahab? You know, Ahab. There was a time when Ahab was a kid. You know who Ahab was, right? Well, Ahab was a kid. See, when he first started out, he had nothing to do with fishing. You know, a lot of people don't know that there was a, you know, there was a whole life that Ahab had much before he, he went into the fishing game. That's right. He worked at a grocery store outside of Dedham, Massachusetts. And uh, he, he uh, yes, and he, he, he was a fairly successful grocer. In fact, uh, uh, he was a grocer for several years after he graduated from high school. Incidentally, that high school career he had didn't help his later disposition. Uh, we don't want to go into that because I'm sure there are a lot of literary people out here who might be offended on the true story of Ahab. What really happened to Ahab? So after he was hanging around the grocery store a while there, he a uh, he, uh, little, little hanky-panky with somebody in the choir locally, and he had to leave town fast, gave up his grocery business, moved to, uh, I believe the town was uh, Bridgeport. He spent two years in Bridgeport selling used rowboats, which were used on the river there. And you see, gradually, he was being drawn into the or- orbit, the, the vortex of the sea. And ultimately, he went into literature, stomping around a quarter, deck, shaking his fist at God. And, uh, you know, everybody has regrets Ahab. Everybody has. Don't blame it on that fish. And uh, <laughs> that's, you know, that's the way it goes. And so when I'm, I'm standing down in the basement there, with my Cub Scout troop, me and Schwartz and Flick and Bruner, who we never went on, you know, nobody can, can predict who's going to get touched by the madness of code. They can't. You agree? We all start out the same. Look, I started out like you. I got the same glance as you have the whole bit. Why do I walk down the street right now, even to this day, and I hear horns blowing, I hear guys air-conditioning, I can read messages in them. I really do. I hear horns constantly saying stuff to me. And I, I'll be walking down the street, you know, with some guys who come out at a chock full of nuts. We've got a big business lunch or something, you know, and, I, and I'll come out and, and I'll, I'll also, all of a sudden I'll hear this cab, you know, blow a horn in, in a certain raucous, uh, sometimes even obscene way, and I will, I'll find myself laughing, and I can't tell the guys I'm laughing at what the guy said on his horn. You know, it's not easy. Because most people have no sense of uh, the imagination of uh, the things that are out there in the air, you know. What, what, uh, most people think those are just a bunch of beeps and squawks, right? You and I, we understand. We see the great, vast romance of these sounds coming out of the night. You, you listen to me. You listen. Lee. You're hearing something true. So she, you're telling her that, right? So I'm standing down in the basement. Changed my whole life. Whole, my, my whole life. I'm standing down in the basement with Schwartz and Fleck and Broner, and uh, one of the kids is giving a demonstration on how to tie sheepshank knots, which is exciting to watch. I, uh, I think one day this will be a very, very, very popular spectator sport on television because we used to have competitions who could tie. You know, you tie it real fast and throw it on the ground, and the and the sheepshank knot that hits the ground first, this guy's won the knot tying contest. You remember that? You ever been in a knot tying? wait till Rune Arledge discovers that. It's going to be right next to the Grandmother Demolition Derby out at West Islip, you know, other great uh, sporting events of our time. So I'm watching this kid tie the sheepshank knots, and I, a, a strange kid, a kid that who I have not referred to often in my narratives, because there's always a mysterious figure in your life, the, which remains ambivalent. I mean, no doubt most of you have got an ambivalent figure or two in your life, and that ambivalent figure could very well be you. However, uh, I, uh, Stanley Roper. I'll i tell you who it was. It was Stanley Roper, and Roper was in the Cub Scout. He was in the pack. We call called the Cub Pack, right? And I was in the a little blue beanie. You know, you know the whole thing. See, so we're, we're we're fooling around down there. The word actually used was was not quite that, but it was something like we're fooling around. See, so Stanley Roper comes in, and he's he's plugging for a merit badge, like we all were. See, and we were always hoping they'd come up with really great merit badges like merit badges and fooling around uh you know merit badge in killing time merit badge and tv watching you know that kind of stuff kid that can log the most tv time and all that stuff see so nevertheless uh Stanley roper comes in and he has got a little thing which he has built on a wooden cheese box he's made this see and this uh, and, of course, like all Cub Scout troops, we had these yearly shows where kids would put on their displays, you know, where kids would take these green boards with knots, and they would they would put the knots all over them, bowline knots, sheep shake knots, slip knots, and all that stuff. And uh, one guy would make a, a genuine scale model cabin, uh, a scale model made out of actual logs, a model of Abraham Lincoln's cabin. That was one of the big ones one year. That was just exciting. He made it out of Lincoln logs, actually. He faked it. And uh, Lincoln Logs, did you ever see Lincoln Logs? I wonder what Lincoln would think of Lincoln Logs. You know, it's like, have uh, you met, ever thought about what George Washington, think of souvenir little hatchets? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you would see George Washington walking into the Shraps there and they're selling little souvenir hatchets. So he said, what, what hath God wrought? And uh, he talked like that, you know, that, that was the style of the day. But today, of course, uh, we have our own style. We're going to say, hey, what, you know, what, uh, what's happening, Mac? Of course, by the year 2050, that will sound very esoteric to them, too. Uh, somewhat rococo, a little classical. And so, uh, by the way, I saw t- I'll talk about classical things. I saw terrible, terrible, uh, uh, terrible graffiti at 2030 Street today. It said, uh, Rona Jaffe writes Norman Mailer's Dialogue. That's just terrible. I, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything sacred any longer. Do you? Nothing. Least of all us. Totally unsacred. So uh, I, I, uh, I'm standing around down in the Cub Scout Pack. This is a rambling dialogue, isn't it, tonight? Well, life is like that. Life is rambling. It does not have a beginning and a middle and an end. Only in the movies does it have that, you know. And uh, that's why pro- probably why people like movies. Because their life just keeps flubbing along you know, day after day. <laughs> you know, you figure the only person in the world that's got a script is is uh... you know Peter Fonda, somebody like that. You don't. You just keep ad-libbing, and they never send you to write cues. And you know, you read your lines bad, and uh, you know, all right, you, know, it's just a, you, you go down to Barney's to get an Edwardian suit, and you look lumpy in it, and uh, you know. <laughs> so it. Uh, it all begins to pile up. So I'm standing down there in the in the basement with the troop there, me and Schwartz and Flick, and Stanley Roper comes in. Nobody, not actually, frankly, nobody liked Roper. Uh, there's always one kid with very thick glasses who is an expert on everything. And Stanley Roper was our universal expert, and he was not backward in, you know, making it very clear that he was the universal expert. His favorite word was stupid, applied to all other people, you know, all the other kids. I was stupid? What do you mean? So Stanley, and what was so totally irritating about it, was Stanley at that point was six feet two, weighed 180. So he could make the word stupid stick in the Cub Scout troop. So Stanley Roper comes in. You you thought he was going to be a little studious kid, didn't you? (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. I wish life fit those little Woody Allen clichés. It isn't that way. No. Just isn't. Uh, Stanley comes in and he's got this—he's got this cheese box, you know, wooden cheese box, these little things, you know. And he's got—he's got, he's got uh, batteries on it. See, so he's got hooked on the top of it. He's got batteries with tape over it. I remember he had the, he had the batteries taped on this thing, see. And it's got a—it's got uh, a little key on the top. Now I had heard of uh, telegraph keys. You hear about keys. Never actually seen one. And Roper. Brought this thing in right in the middle of the sheepshank knot demonstration, and it, he was always upstaging people like this. The kid was just in the middle of making the final tie, you know, when Roper goes doo doo doo, doo. he blows the horn on the CW, and I turn and look at it, something in it, something in that sound, something in that sound. It, it things went through my very being, my very instinctual being something something rang something somewhere deep down inside him. it's an inchoate thing it's kismet have you ever had that moment of sartori that moment of of, of revelation that moment of it must have been like the moment when, when you know when the uh, hillary climbs up to the top of Mount esben effort he looks around and his son he's in the highest place in the earth and bang it hits <laughs> Oh, the excitement of the charge through my very feet. All Stanley Roper went with doo, doo, doo. And Schwartz said, who's, who's making a whistle? I said, shh, Schwartz, shh. Stanley, do that again. Roper, please, do that again. And Roper, with a smirk on his face, puts his hand on the key and goes,
1: doo-doo-doo.
3: It was the first note of CW I ever heard in my life. And from that minute on, there was no turning back. It changed my whole life. It 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 converted me into a walking around schlumping clod into a introverted bug schlumping clod. Due to the fact that once CW filters its way through your brain, you can never get rid of it. There are some sounds that are un- unmistakably, that, that are totally human, that are, that are crying out, the darkness. It's the sound of, of, of unseen wailing ghosts coming out of the vast E-layer, the sporadic E-layer of private existence and the ancient solar systems that go beyond the imagination of man. Yes, those sounds calling eternally. You just can't We'll send you on top of those rocks. Circe's luring the sailors to their ultimate doom. Out of the vast sweep of all time of the marrow of the bones of God itself. No way. No way to escape. Stop it, you guys. Cut it up the obscene display of emotion. And so that night, after talking to Stanley Roper and finding out how he made this thing, the next day, I took every last cent I had in the bank, all 27 cents of it, and went down to Woolworth and I bought myself a buzzer. You know those little gray buzzers they got? I bought myself a buzzer and the first CW thing that I ever built was made out of a buzzer and a doorbell, one of these little brass pushers you buy at the dime store, and two batteries. And it would go eh, eh,
4: eh, 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 eh,
3: eh, and I'm sitting in the kitchen pressing this thing away. Eh, 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 and I've got my I've got my Boy Scout <laughs> handbook that's got the code in it, see? And I go eh, eh, uh, uh And one day, right in the middle of a soft June afternoon, just like this, I'm sitting in the kitchen, hunched over. By this time, I'm sending actual words. I'm sending words like this: uh 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 uh. uh, uh. That is T H E. I will send another word: ow ow eh. ow ow ow. G O. Ow uh, ow. I'm really getting good at this thing. When all of a sudden, the bathroom door slams open. I just hear it go, you know. Bam! When there are certain sounds in your life that you begin to identify without even words, these are the nonverbal sounds of danger. I could hear the old man's feet coming. And I could hear grunting sounds. He says, give me that damn thing! Now look. Either you're going to cut out making them noises, or I'm going to take care of this thing. I sat there for one instant. I finally the old man decided he knew what he had to do. He just grabbed it. If you want to play with this thing, you're going to play with it in the garage. Play with this thing. Play with it in the garage. And so long nights, I would sit out in the garage and with the mosquitoes going, uh, 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 and now the entire neighbor could hear it because I'm in the garage. Well, it was just about that time that I found myself as a tiny tot, slowly slipping away from the rest of mankind. Other kids went out to learn to play the accordion, they learned to tap dance. Other kids went and took piano lessons. Shepard, at the age of 13, could send and receive 45 words per minute. C.W.
1: 45.
3: That's right. And I have never looked back. I had never looked back. You're listening to the Jim Ryan of kids C.W. operators. I mean, I mean. I <laughs> mean. And so even in the day as i walk around I can hear sounds around me I can hear little faint things with doo 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 and it fades off and i hear ta-da-da somebody coast off into the distance then i hear
4: something. <speaker singing> ta-da-da-da